wonderful thing to pray also. What a wonderful opportunity we have to call on your name and to know that you will that you will show up and that you will uh, do what we need you to do. And Father, today, just thank you that we've had some time to just be reminded that spending time in your presence is what matters. It's what shapes us and forms us. That no matter if we're having our best days or our worst days, if we're feeling joy or sorrow, God, that you meet us in the midst of both of those things and that you walk with us. And I pray that today that as we as we share stories, as we share stories of the ages, as we look at who you are and who you will always be, may we take hope. May we feel empowered. May we know that today uh, is a day that we have been in your presence. Thank you for, for guiding us this morning. And I pray that you would bless our time as we spend a few moments in your word together. Please walk with us. Please, please reveal yourself to us. Help us to change the way that we see you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. And the church together said, amen. Uh, As a pastor, sometimes you have these moments where you think, wow, I've got this great sermon that I'm going to preach and people are going to love it. Then there's other Sundays where you feel like if you get up and start speaking, you're going to ruin the whole service. Um, And I feel more in that category today. Uh, The sermon that I prepared this week, I actually did on Monday morning. Uh, first thing, about 8 o'clock, before any of this week's events had, had unfolded. And it's amazing to me how the Word of God is so powerful, because even in the midst of that, there is still a mighty word that needs to be spoken to God's people today. We started a series, or we started a, a kind of a, a mini-series within this bigger series last week about asking, you know, asking Jesus these questions. And we started talking about the end times a little bit. It's not something that I preach about very often. And today, uh, you know, kind of saying, what's the deal with the end times? And today is kind of part two. I've decided I'm going to do one more next week. Uh, This is not something that I like to preach about a lot, not because I don't believe in it or because that I don't think that it's powerful and valuable, uh, but because it's just one of those things that sort sort of splits the audience. Half the people love it and half the people don't. And it's, it's sort of one of those things that you kind of, you kind of just step a little slower towards these things. Uh, we talked a little bit last week about this. You'll, we will never understand a book we do not read. And I think sometimes this is true of the Bible. When we, when we start with the Bible, we decide, you know, we want to know what the Bible has to say, but we don't want to spend the time with this book that we need to. And we talked a little bit last week, a little, little recap, that we've got to learn to read the Bible contextually. We've got to re- learn to read the Bible the way that it was written because it does have a message and a voice that it wants to share with us. I talked a little last week about the, much of the book of Revelation needs to be read in the context of the temple. And you're saying, why should we read the, book, the end as, as part of something that was in the Jewish, um, you know, the Jewish practice? Well, because the temple was the biggest way to experience God. They would travel vast distances to find God at the temple during things like Passover and Pentecost. And that was the greatest image that the ancient world had about how God showed up. And obviously that shifts and changes with the person of Jesus. But when the book is written, it's written contextually with this idea of where is the place that when 
when are we going to meet God, and where are we going to meet God? Now, re- the book of Revelation is, has got numbers and dates, and, and a lot of these things are, some of them are literal, some of them are symbolic, some, some of them are, you know, metaphorical or hyperbolic or, you know, euphemi- I mean, there's all different kinds of things that are going on in this book. Last week, we did some of the setup that, I, that I've talked about and some of the context, and today I'm going to try and re- do some of the revealing. What, what is this book really saying? And what should we learn from it in the midst of our lives today? Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes this is true, I think, of a lot of people, is we like to go through things. I mean, our lives are at a furious pace, aren't they? And sometimes when we come up to difficult things, we just want to blow through them as quickly as we can. But when it comes to passages of Scripture, like the one that we're dealing with today, we've got to learn to slow down. I think sometimes our discomfort is we want to just get past it and get through it and, okay, let's just learn what we need to learn and move on. And that's not the way we should read this book. In fact, I would argue that's not the way we should read most of the Bible. We should slow down and take our time. The larger context of the entire Bible and the entire world and the entirety of time is simply this. All things begin and end with the presence of God. If you read the book of Genesis, it doesn't start with creation. It starts with there was a beginning, but God was there. God was present. And God spent time making everything that we have seen. And if you read the Bible, God is present. That's why I think we struggle, right? Life gets in the way. And sometimes tragedy gets in the way. But the presence of God is always around these things. Sometimes I think we spend a lot of our lives defining our lives by things that the enemy has sent. And we focus more on what the enemy is doing or what the enemy has done or the bad that's going on that we forget about the presence of God. The book of Revelation is a corrective It's to say we need to live in the anticipation of revelation, of what God is doing. This is what the Jews did in temple. Wait for the day the Messiah is coming. You don't think they ever had weeks like we have? Where there were moments that they they felt like the evil powers were closing in? And the message was always clear. We need to wait for God. God is there. God has not abandoned us. He will walk with us. He will go with us. We need to live in anticipation. And when Jesus comes, it is the fulfillment of that anticipation. It's kind of the the chapter before the end, right? And then Jesus dies and they think, well, we've lost him. And then he's raised and they they anticipate the coming back. And then he says, I'm going to walk with you. And they live with that anticipation. And now, you know, we're, we're almost at the end. We've always been in the last times. We've always been in the last days. From whenever the church started, it's lived in a period of the last days. Because we're waiting for God to do the big final thing. The writer of Revelation says, we've got to decide how we're going to live with that anticipation. Now I'm going to tell you a few little things and then... uh, You guys are going to maybe have to follow me a little bit today because I think I'm going to cut part of my sermon out today. Isn't that the best news you've heard? Right. Okay. Uh, John is an apostle who writes this book. He's the author. 
of Revelation. He's the last apostle that's living. He's about 90 years old, or probably 90, closer to 95, maybe, when this book is written. He's an old guy. He's living in exile on an island called Patmos, and he writes this book under an alias originally. Because he doesn't, the end is kind of near, and people are, are getting worried. He's the last apostle. What happens when he dies? Is, is Jesus kind of forgotten about? And John writes with very hopeful language in the midst of this. The audience of Revelation is, is a collection of churches. We call them the seven churches of Asia, but it really represents the church as a whole. Every single church is represented. There's some kind of issues. And when John writes to these churches that have been churches, some for 50 or 60 years, and, and, and that they're doing what all churches do, they're getting normal and comfortable, and they're wondering, okay, how does this play out? And he writes some correctives to them, and these correctives could apply to any one of us. He says, you know, you've lost your first love, or you're governed by fear, or there's some false teachers in your midst. And he shares a bunch more. You're tolerating worldly things. You're dead in your faith. You're lukewarm. I mean, he, he shares all these. And who of us cannot say, yeah, that one really speaks to me. I'm, I'm really governed by fear. or I'm kind of lukewarm. You know, there's days where I do really well in my faith and days that I really just struggle and I forget to pray or I forget to engage the presence of God. The stage of revelation, the, the unfolding of this story kind of unfolds the same way that the book of Genesis does. I remind you again, all things begin and end with the presence of God. He's, he's around all of these things. I'm just going to read one passage today. I was going to read two, but I think I'm just going to read one. Because I think it's, a, it's maybe a good focal point for us today. In Revelation chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, there is this image of where Revelation takes place. You know, most of the books of the Bible take place here. I mean, maybe not you know, Amarillo, Texas, but on earth with people. The stage of Revelation is not on earth. It is in heaven. Remember when Jesus prayed this prayer? Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the intersection of that prayer. But listen to these words, because I think they matter. John writes this. He says, After I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders, 12 from the tribes of Israel and 12 from the Gentile churches, the Bible will tell us at a later point. They were dressed in white, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning, rumbles, and peals of thunder. In front of the th throne, seven lamps were blazing. That represents the seven churches. These are the seven spirits of God. 
Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures. They were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first of the living creatures was like a lion, king of the beasts, right? The second was like an ox, king of the livestock. The third had the face of an eagle, king of the birds. And the fourth, uh, the third had a face like a man, sorry. And the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under their wings, right? Nothing is hidden from them. Day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns down before the throne and they say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. And you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. It is a beautiful, epic scene of the throne room of God. And it says God is in the center, and you've got all these leaders of the tribes and of the worlds around them. And then you've got these weird-looking creatures around them. And as you'll read the book, you'll see that there are more and more multitudes. You've got angels and people and all kinds of things, but they all have one thing in common. And that is, when God is called out, everybody bows down and worships. All things begin and end with the presence of God. All things. And the book of Revelation is meant to remind us, while we are here and we're not there yet, our lives should be about the same thing about finding and seeking the presence of God. The writer of Revelation, when John writes this book, he wants to tell people this, God will prevail. And the reason why God will prevail is because he already has. God will win because God has already won. And the temporary difficulties and challenges that we are facing here and now on this earth are only temporary. Because before you know it, we will be in the throne room of God. All things begin and end with the presence of God. And our job as Christians, as people, as believers, is to seek the presence of God. And I think we spend a lot of time distracting ourselves by trying to give explanations to things and try to figure things out and say, well, this is why this is happening and this is, this is what's going on. God is on the throne. He is reigning. He is king. He is Lord of all. He is, he's, he's finished. He's already won the battle. No matter what happens in this life or on this earth, the next step for us is to be in the throne room of God. And when we call out that he is worthy of 
great and wonderful how awesome can't seek the presence of God without worship. And when you seek the presence of God, it leads us to worship. Instead of wasting our time with explanations or trying to understand things that we never will, our goal needs to be to seek the presence of God. To be in the presence of God. This morning we've spent a little bit of time just being in the presence of God. Thinking of others that would be struggling, putting ourselves in their position. But at the end of the story, the only thing that will matter is that we're in the presence of God. And we get to cross the boundary between the presence of God later (laughs) and the presence of God now why memory is so important. This is why inspiration and hope is so important. God has always been. God is now. God will always be. As we seek the presence of God. Father, today I just, I pray, I ask, of brokenness that maybe we just have a vision of what it will be at the end that we long for the day when we will encircle the throne (laughs) that we will actually get to see your face and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim Father, today I just pray that we would get a glimpse, that we would know, that we would see who you are and what you're doing. God, may we we see your presence in the world around us. May we see it in the faces of our children. May we see it in the beauty that you've created. May we even see it on those windy days. Father, may we seek your presence. So we began the service seeking the presence of God. We're going to end the service seeking the presence of God. I want to ask you to just close your eyes for a second.